You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Eleven years. In 1904, there was a 26-year-old named Evan Roberts in the country of Wales that had a passion for revival. He wanted to see God change his nation. He wanted to see God change his loved ones' lives. He wanted to see God change his community. And he passionately prayed for God to move with power. In 1904, that movement of God came, a great spiritual awakening. Over 100,000 people were saved in the nation of Wales. And that revival spread all over the world. And Evan Roberts had been praying since he was 15 for that to happen. 11 years. 11 years he called out to God and asked for God to move. And in 1904, 1905, he saw God move and tens of thousands of lives were changed. Now, let's just be honest when it comes to prayer... Sometimes we struggle to pray for 11 minutes, much less 11 years of focused, continual, consistent prayer. And this morning, I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 1. We're going to take a break from our study on Ephesians uh, this month of April. And we're going to talk about what God wants to do in and through our church and community over this celebration of Easter that takes place this month. Acts chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 12. Acts chapter 1 verse 12. If you're physically able, I want to ask you this morning to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, Then they, these are the the disciples, the followers of Christ, after Jesus Christ ascended back to the Father. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James... All these, now watch this, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we pause in this moment to magnify your great name. We pause to express our dependence upon you. Lord, we believe that 
that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So as we study your word, I pray that you would move in our midst. Lord, give us understanding when it comes to the Scriptures. And help us to understand these Scriptures in such a way that we will, we will apply them to our lives. God, I pray for transformed people today, starting with me. Have your way in our midst. We'll thank you for it. We love you, and we praise you, and we lift this prayer up to you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm very excited to share with you this morning a three-week initiative that's going to take place before and on and after Easter Sunday. And I'm very excited about calling you to be a part of this initiative. Over three weeks, we're going to focus on sharing the gospel and calling people to Christ so they can be transformed. And it's going to begin really next week. Well, it's going to begin this week, more on that later. But next week, we're calling uh, that Sunday, Fill the Altar. Fill the Altar. Now, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. It's where we kick off the Passion Week. And I want you to be here next Sunday morning because in the service next Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and uh, celebrate the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins because he loves us so much. So that'll be next Sunday morning. But Sunday night, next week, right here in this room at 6 o'clock, I'm going to ask you to come back. And we're going to do nothing but pray. We may sing a little bit, but we're going to pray and ask God to move with unusual power on Easter Sunday. Fill the altar. And so hopefully on, uh, on, on April 10th, 6 p.m., right here in this room, we'll have a good number of people that come together just to pray and ask God to move with power. And then the next Sunday is Easter and we're calling that Sunday, April 17th, Fill the Pew. We're going to ask you, starting today, to invite, 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 invite. We want you to invite many, many people to come and worship with you on Easter Sunday. Easter is a cultural moment. A lot of people that may not be plugged into a church regularly may come to a church or check it out on Easter Sunday. It's just a, it's a big day. It's a big deal. And so maybe you've been a part of a church in years past that had high attendance Sundays where you get as many people there as you can. Well, we're going to do it on Easter. And I'm giving you a head start because Easter is the highest attendance every year, right? So, uh, uh, so we're cheating a little bit, right? But we want to fill this room up on Easter Sunday. There's going to be glorious music. Jesus Christ is going to be exalted. We're going to celebrate his death and his burial and his resurrection and the way that he transforms lives. And we're going to preach the word. The, the sermon title, I even know what I'm going to preach about that Sunday, is Experience Jesus. And I want to talk about how people can experience Jesus personally in their lives. So we're, we're praying that that. This room will be full of people. The balcony will be full. Choir's going to stay in the choir loft. That, that, that the pews will be filled up with folks on Easter Sunday. we got some cards we're going to make available this week and the next week that, that uh, we want you to take and pass out these little business-sized cards where people know they are invited to come to our church. 1030, Easter Sunday, April 17th. Fill the pew. Sound good? 
And then the next Sunday is April 24th. And we're asking God to save people on Easter. We're praying as we preach the gospel, as we call people to faith in Christ, that, that many will respond. And as people respond, we're going to actually baptize them, just like we did this morning. We're going to baptize them on April 24th. Fill the tank. We're going to have the water in the tank. And we're going to baptize folks and make a decision for Christ on April 24th. Sound good? So next Sunday... Fill the altar. We're going to come together and pray. The next Sunday, fill the pew. The next Sunday, fill the tank. We're going to baptize those who make decisions for Christ. So we're praying that God would, would, would move with power during that time and, and that we would see families and individuals and our community absolutely transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I love this quote from Ronnie Floyd. He says, A lost, dying, desperate world needs to see what an alive, biblically-based, God-empowered, Great Commission-driven church can do. And I pray that will be the, the, the case over this three-week initiative. But as we lead up to filling the altar next Sunday, I want to call you today to spend this week praying and fasting. Praying and fasting. And we're going to begin with our text here in Acts chapter 1. I want to walk with you and give you some quick points from this passage. Then I want to kind of outline what I'm asking you to do this week. But if you look here in Acts chapter 1... We see that Jesus gave some final instructions to his disciples before he ascended back to the Father. Now you know that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He took on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born. He lived on this earth as the God-man, fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong, never thought anything wrong, never said anything wrong. He was perfect. He was without blemish, without spot, perfectly holy. And Jesus, as the perfect Lamb of God, of his own volition and obedience to the Father, went to the cross, and on the cross he died for our sins. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he became sin for us. He took all of your sin, all of my sin on himself, and on the cross he was taking the punishment that we deserve. He died for our sins. And that was a dark day. He died on the cross he was buried. His disciples were hopeless. They thought it was all over. This movement of Jesus' followers did not know what to do. Their, 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 their teacher, their leader had, had been crucified and he was buried in a tomb. The, 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 the rock had been rolled in place. But early on Sunday morning, after his crucifixion, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He defeated death itself and he rose victoriously and he is alive today and he's mighty to save. But after he died on the cross and, and was buried and rose from the grave to defeat our two greatest enemies of sin and death, he was on the earth for a while appearing to his disciples in his resurrected body. But then in Acts 1 it tells us that he, he gave them these final instructions before he ascended. He actually went back up into the sky, back to the Father in heaven. And here's what he said there in verse 4. He says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So here's what he tells them. Don't go anywhere yet. 
Now, in the Great Commission, he says, go to all the world. But right here, he says, not quite yet. You need to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, wait for this baptism of the Spirit. Wait for this empowerment from the Father before you do anything. Because look what he says next. Down in verse 8, he says, you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in the surrounding area of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus here is saying, you are going to bear witness of me. You are going to tell a lot of folks about me. You are going to share the good news and see me radically change people's lives. But don't go just yet. Wait in Jerusalem. So here in verses 12 through 14, the disciples are obeying him. They're in Jerusalem. They're not going anywhere. They're they're waiting for the promise of the Father. And it says there that they travel from Olivet to Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey away, which means about three-quarters of a mile, maybe a half a mile. And it says that they went up, in verse 13, to the upper room. Now, Scholars believe that because the definite article is there in the original language, the, the upper room, this is probably the same upper room that Jesus met with his disciples in when he administered to them the first Lord's Supper on the night before he was betrayed, arrested, and crucified. And so they are gathered together in the upper room. It gives us a list of those who are gathered together. And it says in verse 14 that they begin to pray. They're waiting for the promise of the Father. They're waiting for the baptism of the Spirit. And so they are praying together, asking for God to do something. And it says there that they devoted themselves to prayer with one accord. Now, I want to just make four quick comments about uh, these verses to kind of set the stage for what I'm calling you to when I say I want us to fast and pray. Four prayer principles. First of all, in this text, prayer is something that any Christ follower can do. Prayer is something that any Christ follower can do. Verse 13, it says, They had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and it mentions all the different uh, disciples there, Philip and Thomas and James and John and Andrew and Peter and James, Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot. It mentions the women who were gathered there, Mary the mother of Jesus, his brothers, the, 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 the half-brothers of Jesus. Uh, they're all gathered there and they are praying. And they're all praying, which means that prayer is something not just for the professional clergy, prayer is something anyone can do. Because when when you became a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you became a Christian, the blood of Jesus was applied to your spiritual life and your sins were washed away. Because of that, there's no longer a barrier of impurity between you and God. So now you can't, listen, come directly into the presence of God and talk to him. And you can go into the presence of God, listen, any time you want. And, and check this out, you can stay as long as you want. You can go to God and pray and talk to the, the Lord of the universe, the living God. You can talk to him. You can have his ear. He, the Bible says he inclines your ear to hear you when you pray. Wow. Prayer is something that that any Christ follower can do. Every Christian has access to God. 
No matter your personality, your spiritual gifts, your circumstances, you can be a part of advancing the kingdom by praying. Second prayer principles here. Prayer unites hearts like nothing else. Look what it says there in verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. With one accord. There was a a supernatural unity happening in this upper room as they gathered together different people, different backgrounds, different personalities, but they're all together in this room and they are crying out to God and they are united. They are on the same page. They are living in unity. You see, prayer unites because when we are all praying together, we're talking to the same person, Jesus about the same thing, with the same goal. We're, we're, we're united as we talk to God. And prayer unites because here's what prayer does. Prayer keeps your eyes on Jesus. It is, listen, it is very hard to pray and be divisive at the same time. Almost impossible. Because when you're praying, you're, you're looking to the Lord. Your eyes are on Jesus. And you're not thinking about division and not thinking about conflict. You're, you're, you're talking to God and prayer unites us because it keeps our eyes on Jesus instead of our eyes on ourselves. We keep our eyes on ourselves, we get in all kinds of trouble. But if we keep our eyes upon Jesus, if we'll pray and talk to him, you can't imagine the difference it will make in your life and it will make in your church as God knits our hearts together with a supernatural unity. Prayer unites hearts like nothing else. Number three, prayer is hard work. That's why I admire someone like Evan Roberts that prayed for 11 years before the great Welsh revival. Focus, intensive prayer for God to move and you and I know that, it, that it's hard work. We are so easily distracted and we are so stinking busy, right? Every one of us. We got so much going on and, and we're running around and, and trying to be where we need to be and take our kids where they need to be. And, and, and we're so busy and, and it seems like that, that prayer is, is pushed to the margins of our lives. Hard work, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes devotion. Notice the word that it uses there. It says they, they devoted themselves to prayer. That word devoted, there is a present tense participle, which means they were continually engaged in prayer. This was not a quick, you know, say a quick prayer and go home. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Probably, if you look at the timeline here, this is probably a 10-day prayer meeting. If you look at the time when Jesus went back to the Father and the start of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the church in chapter 2, probably about 10 days they're gathered together and they are praying. Can you imagine calling people these days to 10 days of prayer? We're going to meet every night for 10 days and pray. We'd all immediately, starting with me, we'd all begin to say, well, boy, i got a lot of stuff going on, and I don't know, and boy, my schedule, and right? Prayer is hard work, but they were devoted to prayer. And by the way, wouldn't you love it to be said of you when it's all said and done, that you are a person 
devoted to prayer. Wouldn't you love that? Someone could say that about you. Devoted to prayer. So we must be intentional and faithful and persevering in prayer. It's not easy, but listen to me. Focused, fervent, consistent prayer, listen, is rewarding. Because God answers those prayers. And God moves in our hearts as we pray. Prayer is hard work, but oh, it is worth it. Amen? Number four. Prayer precedes great movements of God. It's just so clear. Prayer precedes great movements of God. Notice that Acts, the book of Acts, doesn't begin with the day of Pentecost. That starts in chapter 2. The book of Acts begins with a small group of people praying fervently. Before there was a Pentecost, there was a prayer meeting. Before the disciples were empowered by God to share the gospel and 3,000 people were saved, there were some folks in an upper room for 10 days crying out to God in prayer. Prayer precedes the great movement of God. That's why Jesus said, wait, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to go to Judea. And I want you to go to Samaria. And I want you to go to the ends of the earth. But wait, don't go yet. You need some help. You need God. You need power. So wait for the promised Holy Spirit. You just keep praying. And that's what they did. And all throughout the book of Acts, it, just a cursory reading of Acts will show you That when they pray, God moves. Prayer in the church precedes great movements of God. We see it throughout the book of Acts. We see it throughout church history. If you just study the great revivals, the the Welsh revival, the, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the Jesus movement in the 70s. If you look at these great revivals and awakenings that swept across nations, you will find, without fail... There was sometimes a very small group of people hungry for God that were praying for God to move. And God did. Prayer precedes great movements of God. In fact, I challenge you to find a great movement of God that was not preceded by prayer. You won't find it. In the Bible, in church history, you won't find it. Prayer precedes great movements of God. So, I'm calling you this week to pray and fast, leading up to our prayer time next Sunday night. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Pastor Wade, I was reading along with you there in Acts, I didn't see anything about fasting. And by the way, can I remind you, we're a Baptist church, why are we talking about this right now? (laughs) Fasting. Well, it's true. You don't find fasting in Acts chapter 1. But if you keep reading, it shows up in the life of the church. In fact, over in Acts chapter 13, the church is gathered together in the church in Antioch. And they are ministering before the Lord and praying and fasting. And God speaks to them by the Holy Spirit and sends out Paul and and, and, and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. He, he, He moves in response to their prayers. And that missionary journey changed the world. It turned the world upside down. And they were, in the early church, praying and fasting, fasting in prayer. And over in Matthew chapter 6, and this is interesting, we don't talk about it enough. But over in Acts, I mean, sorry, Matthew 6, 
Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about giving alms. He talks about giving, giving money to the Lord for, for God's purposes, for God's, for God's will, God's way, giving money. And he mentions the hypocrisy of the religious leaders that when they gave, they wanted everybody to see how much they were giving. Blowing a trumpet, so to speak. Look how much money I'm giving to the Lord. And he's saying they were just doing it for show. It was hypocrisy. He says, when you, when, when you give, when you give. He said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Be discreet. But, but give. When you, when you give. Not if you give, but, but when you give. And then a little bit later in that passage, Jesus talks about prayer. And again, he mentions the religious leaders. They were hypocrites. They loved to be seen by others. He said they stand on the corners and pray these long prayers. These eloquent prayers with all this religious language. And the common people of the day would look and say, I could never pray like that. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, that's not what prayer is. When you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray... Go into the upper, uh, in the inner room, not the upper room, the inner room. Shut the door behind you so you're alone with God and talk to him. And Jesus said, your father who sees in secret will reward you for that private prayer time. Not doing it for show, but because you want to talk to God. When you give, and, and we give at our church, it's part of how we keep things running around here. We, we talk about that. When you Pray. We talk about prayer. We're talking about prayer this morning. But Jesus doesn't stop there in Matthew 6. He goes on to talk about fasting. And he says of the religious leaders, they love to let everybody know they're fasting. They walk around with their hair uncombed and their face unwashed. And they're like, oh, pray for me, brother. I'm, I'm fasting today. They want to show how pious and religious they are. And Jesus tells, that's not what fasting is about. It's not to impress other people. He says, but when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, have this interaction with the Lord, fast, and God, again, who knows what you're doing in secret, will reward you. So, so notice, when you give, not if you give, when you pray, not if you pray, when you fast, not if you fast. Fasting is not a negotiable in the scripture. It's just not. Where we say, uh, nah, not for me. That's a little too radical, a little bit crazy. Uh, so I, you know, fasting, really? But it is a very important spiritual discipline. You say, Pastor Ray, what is fasting? Here's what fasting is. Fasting is denying yourself something you want in order to focus more exclusively on God. Denying yourself something you want in order to focus more exclusively on God. Now, the fasting of the Bible is, is overwhelmingly a fasting from food, which is, I believe, the most effective because it gets our attention like nothing else will. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm eating, I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat next. Like, I'll be eating lunch, and, and, and I'll talk to Claire on the phone and be like, hey, what's for dinner tonight? I mean, food dominates my life. How about you? I don't know about you. I mean, I, I just love to eat. Do you? I mean... And so when I tell my body, hey, we're not going to eat for a little while. Wow. Wow. My flesh doesn't like that. It gets, it gets my attention. And so fasting is denying yourself something you want in order to focus more exclusively on God. More about that in a moment. But let me read this quote from Ronnie Floyd. He says, fasting is abstinence from food, listen, 
with a spiritual goal in mind. So you're fasting for a purpose. There's, there's something you're focusing on. You're praying purposefully about something as you fast. Not haphazard. You're, you're, you're focusing on asking God to do something specific. So, here's what I'm asking you to do this week. All right? I'm asking you to designate a day this week and fast from lunch on that day. Designate a day this week and fast from lunch on that day. Now, I understand there are certain health conditions, physical conditions, that do not allow some people in our congregation to fast. It might not be good for them or be dangerous for them to fast. Uh, In that case, I would say, well, fast from something else. Think of something else in your life that takes up a lot of time and, and do without it. Like maybe your favorite you know, cable news network, turn that off for a while, or maybe don't get on social media for a while, or, or you know, don't watch TV uh, that night, or whatever. Just, I mean, just think of something that, that is a, a regular part of your life that when you say, I'm not going to do that for now, you're going to miss it. You're going you're to recognize its absence from your life. It, it might hurt a little bit, right? Fast. But I'm asking you, if you're physically able to take lunch one day this week, and, and, and don't eat, okay? Don't eat. Now, that's, that's a minimum, all right? This is, this is like entry-level fasting for our church, all right? Fasting one day this week, that, I'm asking everyone to do that. But I also recognize that there may be some people in our church that want to fast differently or uh, in a more extended way. Now, I, I really want, I thought about this this week as I was preparing this message. I really want this to be a spirit-led process. And so maybe you need to ask God, God, how do you want me to fast this week? Maybe the Lord will show you, hey, fast for an entire day. If you've never done that, I'll just suggest maybe try fasting from sundown to sundown. One, one entire 24-hour period, sundown to sundown, and take a day and, and fast from food, maybe just drink water, all right? Or maybe you might say, well, I'm going to fast every lunch break this week. Or I'm going to fast for three days, just drink water and fast for three days. I, I don't know. I, I want it to be a spirit-directed process. But, but ask the Lord, how would he have you fast this week, all right? It may be, hey, I'm going to uh, get off my phone for a day. Something like that. I don't know. But how does God want you to fast? Now, as everyone, again, fast on a lunch break this week, at least one day this week, I'm going to ask you to take that lunch break, the time you normally spend eating, and take that time and read your Bible and pray for an hour. Read your Bible and pray. So I'm asking you to do. Um, it'll be good for your soul because here's what's going to happen. You're going to be hungry. You're going to miss the food. And that, that, that hunger pang is a reminder that man does not live by bread alone. But really by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that hunger will remind you of that. Yeah, I miss food, but boy, I need to hear from God. I need God to speak into my life. So you get alone with your Bible, read your Bible, and pray. Now, this this sermon note page, if you look in the back of it, we've prepared for you a prayer guide. 
And the prayer guide just walks you through how to pray during that hour, how to pray during that all-day fast, or how to pray that three-day fast when you have occasions to pray. It's very simple. You can read the, 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 the bullet points there. There's some scripture for you to read and look at. There's some prayer requests, some things for you to pray. But, but notice as we pray on, or during that fasting time, we're praying for three specific things. Transformed lives, a transformed church, and a transformed community. That's how we're going to pray. And again, the bullet points are there. The prayer requests are there. So, so keep this with you, all right? And use this as a, a prayer prompt. Then anything else you need to pray about during that time. But, but talk to God in prayer during your fast. I, I, I'm telling you this, and I'm not, a, I'm not a fasting expert by any means. I need to fast more than I do. But I can tell you this, when I have taken time to fast and spend time alone with God, there is a heightened spiritual sensitivity. I can't really explain it. I, I can't really articulate it. But there, there's, a, there's, there's a dynamic that happens in that moment. You're hungry. You're taking time to pray and see God instead of eat. And God, who sees in secret, meets with you in that moment. It's a really powerful dynamic. And so during the lunch break, read your Bible and pray. And again, this is the minimum that I'm asking everyone to do. Now, after a week of praying and fasting, next Sunday, we'll come back. This time next Sunday morning, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And then at 6 o'clock next Sunday night, right here in this room, I'll lead you through a time of prayer. And along the way, this week, next week, invite, 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 invite. The 10th, fill the altar. The 17th, fill the pew. We've got some, some invite cards there at the different exits. As you go out, grab a handful of these. We'll have a bunch more. So pass all these out and then come back. We'll have them this week, uh, Wednesday night. You can come back. We'll, we'll give you a bunch of these cards. You can pass them out all over the place. Okay? Maybe when you, uh, maybe when you go out to eat, when you leave the tip, leave this card. But when you do that, you better tip good. All right? Don't, don't, don't stiff somebody and leave our church name there. All right? Tip, tip good. But you might want to leave this card for somebody when you give a tip or, you know, at a drive-thru or your coworkers or your neighbors or just whatever. Just they're, they're, they're very non-intrusive. You just hand somebody a card and say, we'd love for you to come and worship with us on Easter Sunday. And all the details are there on that card. So grab a handful of those cards on your way out. Begin to pass them out. And again, if you run out, we have a bunch more for you um, this week. Invite, 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 invite. On uh, July 1st, 1857, and I, I love studying these moments in church history where you see God move with power. But there was a, a quiet and a really zealous for the Lord businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear. His denomination appointed him as a layman to be a missionary for a certain segment of downtown New York City. And so he's standing there in this huge city, and he's supposed to you know, tell them about Christ. And he doesn't even know where to start. Where do I even begin? And so Jeremiah Lanfear had this idea. 
I'll just invite people to pray. And so he went, had a bunch of flyers made up for a lunchtime prayer uh, time for businessmen. And he began to pass these invitations out all over the place, inviting, inviting people to this noonday prayer meeting during the week. Well, on the first day of the, the, the prayer meeting, the first uh, designated day, which was September 23rd of 1857, at 12 noon, Jeremiah Lanfear walked in the room where people were supposed to come and pray, and he took his seat. And no one was there. No one. He passed out flyers all over the place. And no one came to pray for the city. He sat there five minutes. No one showed up. He began to pace the room. No one showed up. 20 minutes. 25, 30 And then at 12.30, he heard a step on the stairs. And the first person appeared responding to the flyer coming to pray with Jeremiah Lanfear. Then another, then another, and six people showed up on that first Wednesday prayer meeting to pray for the city. On the next Wednesday, October 7th, 40 People showed up. Talking about a movement of God, I mean, from 6 to 40? And so they decided, God's doing something here, so let's start to meet daily. So this group of, of, of businessmen led by Jeremiah Lanfear began to meet every day on, uh, during the week to pray for New York. And God began to move. Listen to this. Within two years, a million converts were added to American churches. A million people were saved as the gospel went out. God just began to move through people's lives. And people started to be concerned about their spiritual life and began to ask questions. And people shared the good news. And people were showing up at churches like never before. And one million One million people in 1857, one million people saved, and it's all started with a layman. They said, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to reach all these people. And so let's just gather together and pray and see what God does. And I would say that was a very effective strategy, amen? So listen, we've got plans and strategies and things that we do and try to do and try to accomplish. We've got a three-week plan, a three-week initiative, you know, fill the pew and, and fill, 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 you know, fill the altar, fill the pew, fill the tank. And I'm excited about that, very excited about that. But ultimately, we need God's help. Amen? And so let's just fast and pray this week. However God directs you, fast and pray. And then let's come back next Sunday, gather together in this room at 6 p.m. and say, God, we want to see people's lives change. So we're just going to pray and ask you to do it. We want to be witnesses 
But remember that effective witnesses are those who are empowered by God. That's what happened in the church of Acts. They waited for the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit fell. And they saw 3,000 people saved after one sermon. Wow. We need God's help. A call to prayer and fasting. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.